on tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Ketchikan's City Council extends its emergency declaration so it can continue meeting in a larger space. Plus, a new app allows users to contribute observations about changes in fish and animal populations in Alaska. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Mostly cloudy with isolated rain showers tonight, lows around 50 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Partly sunny on Tuesday with patchy fog, highs around 60 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Tuesday night, mostly cloudy with lows around 50 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Chance of rain Wednesday with highs around 60 and light winds. And on Wednesday night, rain likely with lows in the mid-50s and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Ketchikan's City Council extended its pandemic emergency declaration through the end of July at its last meeting. But city officials say it's less about the city's response to COVID-19 and more about where the council can meet. The emergency ordinance first passed in March 2020 does several things. For one, it eases purchasing rules and allows the city manager to close public facilities during a COVID surge. It also suspends some requirements about where the council can have its meetings. City code currently requires the council to hold its regular twice-monthly meetings in the council chambers in Ketchikan City Hall. Of course, the council hasn't actually met in City Hall since the start of the pandemic. Each in-person meeting has been held in the spacious Ted Ferry Civic Center, where the public and city officials can space themselves at least six feet apart to prevent spreading COVID-19. City Attorney Mitch Seaver told the council that extending the emergency order for another month would allow the council to stay in the Ted Ferry through next month. As we're all aware, you know, particularly adolescents, there's a number of people that haven't had a fair opportunity to be be vaccinated and it would allow us the flexibility to meet in a in a larger setting for the next two meetings regardless. Why just for the next two meetings? After that, another new ordinance passed unanimously on Thursday would allow the council to meet wherever it would like, within reason, the attorney said. But because that ordinance doesn't take effect until after the two July meetings, the council would have had no choice but to return to the chambers next week if the declaration wasn't extended. And that would mean the council chambers would have to be ready July 1st. Councilmember Mark Flora voted with the necessary five-member supermajority to extend the emergency ordinance through August 1st. Would it in any way impact anybody's lifestyle, civil liberties, freedom of movement, or any other activity? And please correct me if I'm wrong, the answer is no. There was some discussion about an added cost of moving back to the council chambers early, but the city clerk's office clarified in a phone call with KRBD that the timing of the council's move back to the chambers would likely not affect the cost. Councilmember Riley Gass voted against the extension. He pointed out that Ketchikan's pandemic numbers are looking much better than in recent months, with few cases and increasing vaccinations. And so what I'm hearing is, yeah, it's not an emergency, but it would... It would make things a lot easier if we just passed this emergency ordinance. So I, I, I don't think it's uh, correct to pass an emergency ordinance when we don't, in my opinion, we don't have an emergency right now. Councilmember Abby Bradbury joined Gas in voting no, saying she didn't see the need for an extension. She pointed out that the Ketchikan Emergency Operations Center can run with or without a declaration in place. As it stands, the clerk's office says there isn't a firm timeline on when the council will return to the chambers and city hall. Alaska has a new state forester. He comes by way of California, where he retired as one of the state's top resource management officials. Coastal Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports. 
Alaska's new state forester, Helga Eng, grew up in Oslo, Norway, which is nearly the same latitude as Anchorage. You know, I've always considered Alaska kind of home in the sense that uh, I was born and raised in a similar climate. He just finished a 21-year career in California, where despite making his home in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains, the dry heat spells were hard to escape. That wall of heat of 105 degrees is not something you really get used to, so... Uh, Coming up here, it's, uh, it's a welcome change, and it's like coming home for me. Ang spent more than 20 years working for CAL FIRE, the Golden State's forestry management and wildland firefighting agency. He was in charge of resource management, which researched different timber practices on state lands. Now, as Alaska state forester, he oversees more than 260 employees and is in charge of regulating logging on state and private land. His office is attached to the Alaska Department of Natural Resources and is charged with preparing timber sales on state lands to supply local industry. We are continuing to work actively, as my predecessor did, to um, reinvigorate a uh, timber industry in the southeast. Clear-cut logging of old-growth forests is controversial, and there has been increased scrutiny of projects on Prince of Wales Island and other parts of southeast. Ang says it's his job to make sure all voices are heard before making critical land use decisions. There are several points of view on forest management and, and timber harvesting. And uh, I, I do think it's important that uh, all of those views are represented and, and all the voices are heard. So um, rest assured there will be ample opportunity for public input into all of the state harvest decisions. As in California, which has been devastated by wildfires, his job here will also include wildland fire protection. In a statement, DNR Commissioner Corey Feige says, we are fortunate to have Helga Eng bring his experience north to Alaska. Eng replaces outgoing state forester Chris Mesh, who served for 21 years before retiring in February. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. A new smartphone app just hit the market on Friday with the potential to transform the debate over Alaska's ocean resources. Skipper Science, as it's known, will allow users along Alaska's entire coastline to contribute observations about changes in fish and animal populations, which can then be collected and quantified as data for Alaska's science-based resource management. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Anywhere the Alaska Board of Fisheries meets, there is always a certain amount of frustration among some of those who testify because their years of experience, sometimes over many generations, doesn't seem to carry much weight in management decisions, which tend to be driven by data. In Sitka, this is particularly acute around herring season, where subsistence harvesters have noted drastic declines in the abundance of the species over many decades, while 40-odd years of data collection by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game suggests everything is okay. This is Coho Clan leader and tribal elder Herman Davis testifying before the Board of Fish in Sitka in 2015. I wonder if all the scientists that are here can figure out what's going to happen when the herring is gone. Skipper Science was created for exactly this purpose. Developed by the Aleut community of St. Paul Island, it's a way for Alaska's harvesters and managers to at least speak the same language. How do we take um, what has historically been called anecdotal and create something, some structure around it, the rigorous, you know, scientific repeatability. Lauren Devine is the Director of Ecosystem Conservation for the Aleut Community of St. Paul, the tribal government of St. Paul Island and the Bering Sea. 
Divine and a team of collaborators have built the Skipper Science app in an attempt to elevate the hundreds, thousands of informal yet meaningful environmental observations by fishermen and others into hard numbers that can be brought to the Board of Fish or to the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council or to any of the agencies that make decisions more on numbers than on impressions. Scaled up over many, many harvesters, the observations of someone like Herman Davis can carry the weight of scientific data. This is the way that an indigenous person takes on life and living and, and, um, and engaging in tr- traditional harvests and um, relationships with the ecosystem. Is it, it is very non-quantitative, and so it, we're very far behind <laughs> the times, really. But, um, but yet yeah, there's no weight that's historically been been given and, and the respect given to the more social science, um, non, you know, Western scientific side of things. And so we, we're really working to, to shift that paradigm. Divine and the Aleut community of St. Paul are not new to this. About 15 years ago, the tribal government established the Indigenous Sentinels Network to monitor changes in animal populations and the environment in the Bering Sea. They've since developed a half-dozen apps and utilities, one of which is called Citizen Science. Skipper Science is built on the Citizen Science platform, but the goal is to make it coastwide, from the Beaufort to Baja, as Devine says. To extend their reach, the Aleut community of St. Paul needed a partner. So my name's Lindsay Bloom, and um, I'm based out of Juneau, Alaska, and uh, I do work for a nonprofit organization called Salmon State. Lindsay Bloom works within Salmon State's Salmon Habitat Information Program, or SHIP, a coastwide advocacy organization. Salmon State and the Aleut community of St. Paul have similar goals, quantifying informal observation. To help bring fishermen's voices and perspectives and knowledge, information, to the table when it comes to decision-making at the state or federal level. Bloom and her husband are drift gillnetters. She's been using the beta version of Skipper Science. The way she explains it, the app takes something that in the past might have just been a few minutes of dock talk after a fishing trip and compiles it into a database. It could be a marine mammal sighting. It could be a change in water temperature that's unusual. It could be <laughs> algae blooms. Um, you know, there's there's many, many sort of categories of data. You'll just pull up your app. You'll hit a button that says record an observation. For my phone, in my case, it actually just loads in my GPS coordinates right then and there. And I can um, describe what I'm seeing and how it's different from what I've seen in the past and, and perhaps take a picture and upload that as well and send it in. The Skipper Science app works anywhere, whether or not it's connected to the Internet, Observations will be cached until users are back in range. Individual observations are also private and password protected, so users can go back in and review past observations. The overall data set, however, is the property of what Lauren Devine is calling the Skipper Science Community. Devine and other researchers will compile it and prepare reports as needed based on the information. The app is free. Divine has considered the possibility that it will gain traction and explode into an enormous amount of work. She says she'd welcome that event. That would be such a dream of mine. This is honestly such an untapped area of really rich information that could totally change the way, you know, that we approach fisheries management from 
subsistence to personal use to recreational to commercial, and it has such amazing potential. The Skipper Science app is available for download beginning Friday, June 18th for both iPhone and Android. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. And one more note before we go. This afternoon, former Ketchikan resident Isaac Updike won the first round Olympic track and field trials for the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase today. He now advances to the finals, taking place this Friday at 3.42 p.m. Alaska time. The trials are being broadcast on NBC. That's it for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. You can get this show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Stone.